tie. trying to shove his way across. Of course, as I mentioned, we missed the opening 10 minutes of this bout. And I'll tell you, this kid Gallant was simply sensational. He's a great scrapper. But he's had his problems in the last five minutes. Babbage comes in. Gallant has got to get to Burke. Slam. Oh, he's going to splash him. of the Stampede Wrestling Show. Let me tell you good people something, and you beer belly sharecroppers out there.
everybody, as the old saying goes, batten down the hatches and lock the door. It is indeed wrestling time once more. Wrestling fans, welcome to the Ring a Ding Dong Dandy podcast again. Today we've got a special guest coming to us all the way from Atlantic Canada, courtesy of New Brunswick. This is Mr. Hubert Gallant, who is a longtime star in Stampede Wrestling. Also, he wrestled throughout Canada and particularly in the Atlantic provinces as well. He's probably best known as a close colleague of Leo Burke through much of his time. That match was recorded in 1977, and that was the debut tour of Hubert Gallant through Stampede Wrestling at the time. And as you see and hear, he was forming a fantastic tag team with Leo Burke, who was uh, somebody whose career would mirror Hubert Gallant's for many years in Canadian wrestling. Today we're going to talk about some stories about Stampede Wrestling, as Hubert Gallant was a big mainstay on the scene back during the mid and uh, early 80s in particular. The next footage you're about to hear is from October 1985. This is during the reboot of Stampede Wrestling when they were having a tag team tournament to crown new tag team champions in the territory. At the time, Hubert Glant was teamed up with Kerry Brown, but being Stampede Wrestling, chicanery was to ensue. Yellow card. One more warning and the team of Glant and Kerry Brown are disqualified. Keith is going to try and make it over for the tag. And he's, he's made it. Bruce took his mean pills, and here he comes with the clothesline. If there's no interference, this could be it. One, two. He got his leg up on the rope. Bruce showing why he's the British Commonwealth mid-heavyweight champ. Oh, pile driver. Oh, no. Kerry Brown comes down off the top of the ropes. I think Kerry may have, may have hurt himself there. Hater didn't see any of it, and he's counting them both out. Both Hubert Gallant and Bruce Hart right now are in big trouble. it. Kerry Brown interferes in the match. I think he had Hubert Gallant 100%. We have with us the one man that's terribly confused about the whole thing is J.R. Foley. He's going from side to side cheering for both squads. This could uh, cause a little trouble. Mind you, if baloney were snow, J.R. would be a blizzard. <laughs> We'd like to remind you once again about some of the upcoming things. Oh, no! Rotten Ron came right off the top rope. Handsome Hubert Gallant got out of the way. Now he makes... Oh! Oh, no! Kerry just flattened his own partner, and the winners of the match are one... Mr. Honky Tonk Wayne and Rotten Ron Star. I can't, I can't figure that out, Roy. Ron I don't Star understand. And Honky Tonk Wayne. 
After Kerry Brown turned his back on Hubert Glant, the team of Hubert Glant and Leo Burke reformed, and they came back to take on the Memphis Mafia in November 1985. The main event, Honky Trunk Wayne and Ron Starr, the North American champions, or rather international champions as the tag team belts go. They're both out of Memphis and like you to know it. Come in with a violin case, they always do, and you know, they look wrapped up and ready, and they are. It's Leo Burke and Hubert Gallant. Burke out of Bunton, New Brunswick. Hubert Gallant, Shediac, New Brunswick. This is one fall with a one-hour time limit. Referee is Rod Hader. We're catching things right at the beginning. Well, we've watched Hockey Talk Wayne and Ron Starr driving most fans bananas. No! They haven't been beaten in a while. They certainly haven't. They call themselves the Memphis Mafia, and they're about as popular in these parks as the Mafia. I think you're right there. Now we're picking it up a little bit later, and I'm afraid that he's been cut outside the ring as Hubert Gallant. And I don't know how much of this we're going to show. He was thrown out of the ring, hit his head on the concrete, and Gallant is in bad shape, comes off the ropes, but he is caught up, and Hockey Tonk Wayne is simply going after him. Hubert Gallant is a mess, and that blood is going into his eyes. He can hardly see. Well, I don't know that we'll take very much more of this. No, no, that's it, that's it. Now, oh, who's this? You know who it is, it's Bad News Allen. He hammers away. It was a few months later in 1986 that Hubert Gallant hung up the boots. You'll hear a little bit in this podcast about why that happened. And with that, we're going to take you to Mr. Hubert Gallant. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, fans, and welcome to the Ring-A-Ding-Dong-Dandy podcast. We have a spectacular guest with us today. If you are a fan of Stampede Wrestling, we have Mr. Hubert Gallant on the line with us all the way from New Brunswick. Mr. Gallant, how are you doing today? Very good. Nice to be with you. So great to hear you. We have our co-host, General CJ, joining us again today. Hi there. Uh, Hi, Hubert. It's nice to have you on our podcast because you are a very very, uh, well-respected wrestler while in... Well, you did the old Stampede Wrestling Day, so I'm looking forward to, to hearing what you have to say during those days and, and other uh, other wrestling ventures you had during your career. Well, it's so so nice talking with you. It's nice to it, – it, it's a reminder. It's been a long time. It's been uh, almost 45 years since I landed in Calgary. It'll be 45 years in August. I remember it like it was yesterday. A lot of good memories. So let's start there. So back in 1977, I think you just you first came to Calgary. What was it that brought you to Calgary at that time? Well, <clears throat> at the time, uh, Lou and uh, Bobby Burke and Bobby Bergerford, Bobby K, well, better known as Bobby K here in the Maritimes, there, and they, they were down there also. So, uh, I remember uh, Cuban Assassin. I remember Keith Hart. I did a lot of work with Keith Hart. He great worker, great person to a great athlete to work with. 
And of course, Stu, can't forget Stu. Stu was a really good promoter and a really good man. Enjoyed my work, and uh, that was flattering. Got me, got, got me to work a little harder. Now, you first started off in the Maritimes, of course. Was it uh, Mail Dupree that got you involved in the sport to begin with? Yeah, in 1974, in the fall of 74. See, Emil lives not too far from, from where I'm from. And I went and talked to him one morning, one Saturday morning, about wrestling that I, want, that I was interested of being trained. And he asked me to do a few moves, like lock-up and stuff like that. And he said, yeah. He said, in January, we'll just put up the ring. That was in 75. And we'll train. That was the back of a bowling alley there in Shidiak, New Brunswick. And then uh, we trained for about three months. And then we started the season the 2nd of May. That was in 75. And we went all through the summer, like seven days a week, sometimes twice on Sunday, till the 15th of October. So that was a rude awakening. Like, you were very, very busy. But what a what a... Great way to learn, you know, working with uh, pretty well often with the uh, Cuban assassin. And uh, I can't really remember all the guys that were there. Emil, Emil was working at the time, too. But there, I still remember the Cuban because I had him more often than everybody else. And it was a good way to learn that summer. So, General CJ, what are your best memories of Hubert Gallant? What would you like to talk to Mr. Gallant about today? Oh, his uh, run, his run with the Commonwealth Mid Heavyweight Belt, and uh, him working with Keith Hart mainly, and I believe he tagged up with Dynamite Kid a time or two. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, that insight. But I remember uh, mostly remember working with uh, Keith. Keith right. was a was a was a was of course to our son. And he was a great worker. I, uh, we, 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 uh, we, uh, it seems like we got along really, really good in the ring and outside the ring, of course. And uh, I remember the best match I had with the Commonwealth was with, was with Keith Hart. Though Dynamite Kid was a great worker also, but it seems like we were connecting more, I was connecting more better with, uh, with Keith. About your connection with Leo. Sorry. Pardon me? Sorry. Um, yeah, go ahead. I remember having a match. I remember having a match there in uh, Red Deer, at your hometown, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm then just... uh, with Keith, with Keith, and uh, we went about thirty minutes. And uh, I remember Stu was watching. Stu was uh, was very 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 happy about the match, and he came and told me that Keith was happy too, of course. And we had a really 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 good match, and it was fun to work with Keith. Yeah, that's right on. What about your connection with Leo Burke, you guys as a tag team? You guys being from the Maritimes and you knowing the Burke family and all that. Well, uh, the the Cormier family uh, were were like family to me, you know what I mean? I I uh, this the first year I was in the business, I went to work for them there with their international wrestling and uh you know, I kind of followed them. Well, we, we were traveling together and everything and it, it was like family them all the way through these days today. 
Unfortunately, Rudy has passed in uh, in uh, in uh, 2008, and Bobby just passed two years ago. Yeah, I remember Bobby in Stampede. Bobby was a, was a great guy and a great musician. He's the one who's uh, who started me with the guitar and everything. So he he was oh, a great geez. singer, and I kind of looked looked up to him for that. And I enjoyed the music. So we kind of yeah. started. We had a we had a connection right there. You know? you kind of remind and me. Friend with your music and yeah, your with your music and all, you kind of remind me of the the Vachons. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which one? Which one of the Vachons? Like like Paul. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the Mad Dog, you mean? Is that right? Were oh, they no, singing the too, or what? Paul the Butcher and Mad Dog, mostly Paul the Butcher. Didn't they do a lot of stuff down in the Maritimes with their music and stuff? Oh, geez, I don't. I can't remember that. I can't recall that at all. I think Paul Butcher played the accordion and stuff like that. Well, I could have, he could have been, yeah. Yeah. I uh, I met them a few times, but I never, never uh, played music with them, like, you know. Yeah, it just kind of gives me that that maritime vibe with that music. I see, I see. Now, Bobby Kay was the one who had a band all across the maritimes here. Yeah. He was doing the all the... All the like Halifax and Newcastle and Moncton did. So he did that for a few years. Okay, yeah. What 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 notable feuds did Bobby Burke have in, in like maybe the Maritimes or even Stampede that fans remember? Well Bobby Bobby started really young in the wrestling business. He was only seventeen I believe and he wrestled for a few years and then uh he went he was promoting for a while the last couple of years uh, that they that they had uh, international wrestling okay and then something something went wrong with the tv with the uh, Zink and everything it's a long story but anyways they ended up closing and then that's that's when we went to calgary is that the international wrestling with gino brito and and steve strong no, gino brito and then no, Gino Brito and them, uh, they were Grand Prix wrestling from Montreal. Oh, okay. International Wait. wrestling was, was, was from Maritime with uh, Rudy yeah. at the time was the promoter, and Al Zink, and uh, the Stomper was there quite a bit, Eric Pomeroy, Mike DeGerge Dubois, Keller Carl Krupp, all those names were there, and they had, they had oh. really good talent. Yeah. Floyd Creechman, Eddie Creechman. Eddie Creechman was, was in Grand Prix in Montreal. Okay. Right. Yeah, Eddie the Brain. But international wrestling was the, the TV. The TV from international wrestling was just uh, mer in the Maritimes, like you know what I mean. Right. But the Grand Prix thing there was probably they it, they came into the Maritimes also. But Stampede Wrestling was, I remember seeing Stampede Wrestling when I was real young. I was only about you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old. We had we had we had it here in the Maritimes. Did you get to see uh, A. Miles' uh, son, Rene, grow up? Yeah. Can you yeah. tell us Well, Rene started really, really young. He was only, I think, 14 or 15 years old. He was a wrestling pro. And uh, he got to be a really good worker. The, like the style that we have 
more like the style that they have today, but he was good at it. High risk, but uh, really good at it. Yeah. I met I him don't in... Know if okay. okay, there's a pause, but I'll let you speak there. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I met... I met Rene in 2000 when he was working for uh, Matt Rats in Calgary. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a bunch of uh, good wrestlers. Um, some of them you, you might know. Uh, son of Davy Boy Smith, uh, Harry. Harry Smith. Yeah, TJ I heard Wilson, of him. EJ yeah. Wells. I heard of him. Yeah. yeah. Natty Neidhart. Uh, yeah. Jack Evans. Um, another kid named Jesse Evans. Um, you probably won't know him. He wasn't around very long. And there was a few others. Okay. So, yeah. And then um, Renee used to go down out to uh, Vancouver and work for uh, Diamond Timothy Fowlers and all those guys. And Michelle Starr, which yeah. you probably know those guys. Yeah. So. Yeah, it all, it all, it all changes... Uh... The territories uh, kind of had a big change when Vince, Vince McMahon took uh, everything over. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. In my days, yeah, in my days, you had about uh, four or five territories that you could work in Canada and probably 30 in the States. But yeah. after that, they took over. It was kind of hard to, to build something up with no TV and stuff like that. And, they, of course, they had the production and the, all the big guys and everything and you couldn't really follow that. I mean, it kind of hurt for everybody. Everybody that wanted to, like even Rene or, 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 or Rene's brother, or you know, they could have made it. They could have, especially Rene's brother. He could have made it in business, but just because of the of the big office that was there, no more small promotion. It was hard to get in. I don't even know if I would have got in at the time. Probably not. You know what I mean? At this time, this this year. Right. So, Mr. Glant, looking back at your early career, as a very young man, you traveled out and headed to St. Louis. You were on Wrestling at the Chase, and I know you fought against uh, Bob Geigel, Harley Race, some massive stars at a very early point in your career. Tell us about those times heading into St. Louis. Oh, geez, that was uh, was in 1976. In in, uh, May 76, I got to St. Louis. And uh, Pat O'Connor was there, of course, Harley Race, uh, Dory Funk Jr., uh, Bob Barton Jr., uh, Bob Geigel. And uh, it was it was kind of funny because it was, a, it was kind of my first territory outside uh, New Brunswick. I went to Montreal for about a week or so in the wintertime, but I didn't stay because it wasn't going good there. So Anyway, when I first got to St. Louis, it was quite quite impressive. I was quite impressed with the crowds and everything. And then we went to uh, Kansas. We were based in Kansas City, and I stayed there four months. And I had a I had a really good summer. And then in the fall, I came back for uh, international wrestling for the fall, and then for about a couple months. And then Mike the Judge Wall booked me in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, for the Crockett promotion. So I went there for the whole the whole winter. That was a good. That was a good. Uh, good territory to work for too. Uh, the Crockers were good to work for. Uh, Scott, Sandy Scott, and George Scott were the the bookers at the time. And then uh, it was a really, really good. Ter- good weather, a good territory, and, uh, and uh, the Rick Flairs and the Ricky Steamboat and the Randy Savage and the, 
just to name a few. We had they had about three towns a night going, so a lot of guys there. According to the records, you actually wrestled Randy uh, Poffo's dad, Angelo Poffo. Oh, sure. I did. I did. I did wrestle him quite a few times, like a single matches and tag team matches also. That was in 1977, I believe. Yeah, the end of 76, beginning of 77. And he was quite the guy. Yeah, really nice guy. And Randy was a nice guy also. And Lenny, Lenny also. Lenny was a really, really nice guy. You could travel with him and talk to him, whatever, anything, you know. How was Randy at that Randy time? Because he would have just been starting his career. He would have moved over from baseball right around that time. Yeah, well, Randy was more like Randy that that you knew, like you know what I mean. He wasn't a, a, you know, he wasn't the guy that you could tell a lot of story with, but he was a nice guy. But Lenny was so open, like you know what I mean, more open, and his dad also. Really enjoyed spending time with them. Do you have any good stories on the road with the Poffos? Oh. Uh... Down here, uh, Lenny came to the here in the Maritimes, and he came he came home a few times, and uh, he was quite the character. Like he was a, a funny guy. He used to imitate Emil Dupre, and uh, we kind of laughed at it. And, uh, and I talked to him and to try to imitate him in front of him, and he did. I think Emil didn't laugh too much, <laughs> <laughs> but he was good. But he was good at it. It was just for for a good job. Did you play any role in bringing the Poffos up to the Atlantic provinces? Because they spent some time up there too. No, Emil. Emil. Uh, Emil knew them for. Uh, Emil knew them for. Uh, knew his dad for a long while. Like he had spent a lot of time in the same territories in the states earlier than that. So he they had they had connection. And Emil was going to Florida pretty well every winter. So I guess they were meeting out there and everything. And Randy and Lenny and. Uh, I don't think uh, uh, Angelo was was Angelo there at the, at the Grand Prix there in the Maritime the first in seventy nine. All three of them were there, yeah. Well, I know Randy and uh, and uh, Lanny were. I'm not sure about Angelo. Yeah, I'm not sure, but the, the two were there, yeah. But at the time I was uh, at the time that they were here, I was in uh, in Calgary. I spent uh, thirteen months in Calgary without going anywhere else. Then I left Calgary to go to Charlotte for the winter. And then I came back to Calgary to the whole year. See, I spent about 11 years of my career was spent 11 of my career years on the road. About six years was spent in Calgary. So I liked it better there. It was like a second home to me. The only thing that I, that, that I didn't like much is the traveling like the, on the road, you know, long trips. Regina and Bagus, 500 miles, and you had to wrestle and come back. So that was 24-hour 24 day, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but at, the, at that time, we were young. We didn't know any better, and we, we enjoyed ourselves. But you entertain yourself in the vehicles and stuff, eh? Oh, I definitely. Could... We played college. We, we, oh, yeah, a lot of, lot of joking around, too, and everything. So we had a lot of fun, yeah, definitely. Robbie Stewart. Definitely. Robbie Stewart told us a couple of good Regina stories on when we did a podcast with him, and he did. He told us a really good story about John Foley and all that. And yeah, you you can just imagine what all the camaraderie that goes inside one of those vehicles on the road with a bunch of wrestlers that are all 
you know, pack in the vehicle. Oh, John Foley! John Foley was quite the character. You know, he was picked on quite a bit, but he was he was some a funny character. Yeah, yeah. He had. A, I remember. I remember one time in the in the. See, he 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 managed me a few times there when I when I was there. So I remember one time. I'm going to tell you a story about him. One time in uh, in Sas, we were we were going to Saskatoon. It was on a Wednesday. It was on a Tuesday night. Yeah. It was on a Tuesday night. No, no, no. It must have been on a Wednesday Wednesday night at the time, yeah. And it went to Saskatoon, and then on Thursday night was uh, Regina. And then John Foley wanted to, wanted to stay in Saskatoon, but all the guys were going to wrestle in Saskatoon. And then we uh, jumped in the van and drove to, uh, to Regina and then booked an hotel there for the night. So John didn't want to, didn't want to, he wanted to stay at the hotel and have a few beer because he enjoys his drinking. So he said, Hubert, would you stay with me? I said, sure, why not? So we went to the hotel that night and uh, John had a few beer, of course. And then uh, around 10, 11, I said, I had enough, you know, I had a few beer and I said, I'm going to bed because I got to, you know, you got to work tomorrow the, the night after. So he didn't want to drink too much, but John closed the bar and the next morning, I got up and I went for breakfast and I went in the bar. The bar opened at 10 and John Foley was there drinking. So uh, John was the type of guy who kind of took care of his money. He didn't like to spend more than he had to. So finally we had to take the bus to, to go to Regina that afternoon. So we went to the bus depot and uh, he said, Hubert, he said, uh, he, was, he was right beside me at the, at the counter. And tell the lady that you want a, you want two tickets and and one for a senior citizen. Senior citizen. So I said one for me and one for for senior citizen. She said, "Do you have any proof?" I said, "Just looked at him. <laughs> 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 he was all drunk up. You know what I mean?" He, <laughs> he said, "Hubert, you shouldn't say that." <laughs> So we had a lot of fun with John Foley. Yeah, he must have been fun for uh, like going over matches and stuff and, and spots that he'd be involved in the match. And especially the interviews he did with Ed and all that. Just get Ed worked up all the time. It was so hilarious. Oh, yeah. He was entertaining. He was very, very entertaining. He had, he had, uh, he was playing the part pretty good. Yeah. And they could have, they could get him to do anything too. Like if he needed to shave his head, he would shave his head. If he needed to, you know, anything. So he was Hitler wearing, must, you know what I mean? The Hitler mustache. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I I worked with him. I worked with him in Kansas City. I forgot that he, that I met him there before I went to Calgary. Oh. Tell us about that. Yeah. Tell him about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, John Foley, uh, I worked about two or three times. Well, they got a program uh, down when I was at Midwest there. I remember seeing a program of me and John Foley working together at uh, at Cal- in uh, in uh, Kansas City. And he was uh, he was uh, fun to work with and, and fun to be with in the dressing room also. Great guy. Because me at the time, I was only uh, 20, 20 years old, like, you know what I mean? Right. 
And I remember, I remember me, uh, me, making a trip to TV to, to do the TV in Minneapolis, Minnesota, with him too. It was on what a year Sunday. Was it? it was in 1970. Wait a minute, 1976. Oh, okay. Yeah, my second year in the business. When I when I was in uh, Kansas City, when I went to St. Louis, there. Oh. Yeah. Did you have any? Did you run into Bulldog Rob Brown around that time down there, or was he down yeah. there? Or? Bob Brown was down there. Yeah, the very first yeah. time that I went to uh, Kansas City, Bob Brown was in the territory. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he he spent quite a bit of time there. It was, I think, it was his home, there, his second home or something. He married the. I think his uh, his, uh, his wife was from down there, if I'm not mistaken. And then he was, that was his home. Then after that, he came to the American Times quite a bit every summer for Emil Dupre there for probably four or five years. And came for, uh, before that, he came for international wrestling too. I remember seeing him when I was a fan there. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, he has a little bit of history, especially he was a member of the Madison Club in Winnipeg back in what the fifties or him and um Al Tomko. They're oh, Madison right, yeah. members. Yep, they're Madison Club members. Okay. Yeah. That is great. I met when I lived in Vancouver a few years ago, I was working as a security officer. Um, I was working at a site called the River Rock Casino and at that they were building it. So I was working as under the construction part outside and inside and stuff. And one of the other companies is called the Commissioners. They're kind of like retired uh, guys from wherever. And um, this one guy claimed, and I can't remember remember his name, his wrestling name, but he claimed that he was in the Madison Club with all those guys, and he was starting to tell me about Bulldog Bob Brown's stories that Bob used to sit at ringside. He was such a big mark before he even got mm-hmm. into business. So, yeah, well, that's the way it usually is. That's the way it usually is, yeah. Yeah, so you never know who you're going to run into out there that has some kind of story about the old professional wrestling so, Mr. Glant, way back in the mid-80s, I saw you wrestle in Regina, Saskatchewan. And you had one of the first times I've ever seen this gimmick where the announcer, it would have been Bob Leonard at the time, starts to announce your name. But then you come up and you put a finger in the face and you correct him and you make him say, Handsome Hubert. Can you tell us about how you <laughs> developed that particular little shtick? Well, uh, it's just a something that you that you talk about on this spot, you know what I mean? So, uh but the handsome thing it was uh, Bruce Hart when he was uh, when he was Booker there. He switched me heel and that he called me handsome. He said you're you're handsome Hubert uh, from now on. I said okay, no problem. Even if I'm not handsome, I can call myself handsome. <laughs> oh, that, that was a, that was a good run there. But uh, I remember Bob Leonard, a really good friend with Bob Leonard. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was. He came down to my wedding in 1984, so that was good, you know, him and his wife and everything. So it was, uh, I thought it was a good gesture of him, you know what I mean? He was a really, really nice guy. All the pro, the, the pictures that you see, the action shots and everything was, was taken by Bob Leonard. Yeah. 
And uh, he was a good, good ring announcer and a really good individual. Really, guy. It doesn't matter when you, you could call him at three, four o'clock in the morning and say we're 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 in town, and he would invite him to invite us to his house and everything and food. And it was unbelievable. Very underrated. Yeah, very underrated. Very underrated uh, in Stampede Wrestling, along with another guy I think very underrated was Tommy Carr. The ring oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, Bob Leonard, uh, I remember uh, just oh, ten years ago, my son went to uh, to Regina there, the depot for the RCMP there. So yeah. uh, at his graduation, uh, I flew in Regina, you know, to and spend four or five days. And Bob Leonard was there, of course, came with Ken Bar brought us uh, to the restaurant and everything. And it was nice to see him, but unfortunately, three or four years after, he uh, he passed. Yeah. The great guy. Great, great for, not only for me, for all the boys. Yeah. Yeah, he, loved, really- he, loved, he, yeah, he loved the business. He was, uh, he, he really loved the business and really, really liked the boys, liked being around the boys. And he was a super nice guy. Yeah. Now you had the distinct pleasure of being either a heel or a babyface. You went back and forth. I think for a while you were actually a heel in Stampede, but at the same time you were a face in the Maritimes. Did you have a preference? Was there one side that you preferred? Well, it was. I tell you, most the only time that I uh, that I healed was in uh, in Calgary, and I've done it because they wanted me to do it. You know what I mean? I didn't mind it. You know, I didn't mind it, but I liked the baby face better because I could, uh, it seemed like, I didn't mind heel, but heel, you, you, you had to take a lot more bumps and stuff like that. And, and I think it's probably because I got hurt and I, I had to, I had to leave early because I always wanted to work hard and make everybody look good or make everyone look, look good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, uh, I was only, well, I was 28 at the time when my back let go on me, and I had an operation in uh, in October, and I had to take the whole the whole year off. And I tried to make a comeback after but it about a year, but I couldn't do what I was doing before, even even as a baby face. Or so uh, I went to Calgary for about three four months at the end of '85, and it did it just didn't work out. So, so you were. Go ahead. Okay, it didn't work out, and I think it was for the best too, because at the time the business was changing and stuff like that, and uh, I realized that I couldn't do it anymore, so I was happy uh, retiring from wrestling. So in '85, when you were still a heel then in Stampede, right? In '85, yes. Yes, yeah. yes. So, well, I was pretty yeah, close. I had worked. Pardon me? Pretty close to the end of uh, Cowboy Dan Crawford's career. Did you do any matches with him at that in that time, 85 I, at all? Uh, in 85, I haven't... Uh, I was... Well, I can't remember he, if he... Yeah, I think he did He did come to work for a while there in 85 there at the end, yeah. It's true yeah. because I had, I had, I had talked to him. You, I had talked to him. He's a 
really, really nice guy, Dan. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed having a good talk with him. Like you know what I mean? Really liked him. Uh, good in the ring and good out good outside the ring. But you didn't you didn't have any matches with him in '85, though, did you? With no, you being no. the heel and and he was a face. No. No, I never worked with him. never worked with him in my life. I just uh, oh, talked to him right? in restaurants, nothing. That, yeah, and had had a few talk with him and everything, and that's that's about it. But he was a very very interested guy to work to talk to. Really, yeah, really nice. Cool. I work with Bruce. I work with Bruce most of the time there in the late '85. But it wasn't the same. Like you know, you know what I mean. Right. And uh, Bruce was 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 not a bad worker, but uh, he wanted like he wanted to do too much in, in, in the in the same time. You know what I mean? And I wanted to. You know, slow down the pace and and tell a story. But if you exactly. if you want to do too much at, at the same time, you 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 know you kind of get away from the story that you want to build. But uh, yeah. otherwise, it was it was it was good working with him and everything. But I, I that's why I, I like to work better with uh with uh with Keith. And I, I had a few match with Brett also. And another thing that I wanted to talk to is about <clears throat> the run we had with uh, Leo and I in it as a tag match. As a heel, of course, with uh, Bret Hart and uh, Dynamite Kid, yeah. we 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 threw that angle there one time. I remember, and then for seven weeks in a row, we were in the main event. That's that's, that's the most main event I ever had it was in Calgary, mm-hmm. probably seven or eight. But those were the seven time that I was in with Leo as a tag, and we had a lot of heat. It was unbelievable. And then the the at the seven week. They left, went to Japan for about a month, and then they came back and they put that match back on, and the people were right there, pack house in the pavilion and everything. So we had a good thing going. Oh yeah, well I remember those matches for sure. Those were classics. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. We couldn't even walk to the ring. We had to, you know, they had to have the security guard there there to, to protect us and everything. Oh, it was fun. It was fun. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember around 83, 84 that your team of Leo Burke and yourself against Brett and Dynamite was headlining the pavilion for ye- weeks on end. A couple oh, of months, yeah. I yeah, think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. At least seven weeks, yeah? Yeah. But we we, we started the, the, the program and then it worked. And then uh, Leo at the time was a heel, but Leo was a baby face and then he switched. And then when he switched, we got to get towards a two-third-timer against uh, against a Bret Hart, and the dynamite was over at the time there, too, you know what I mean? So it was a good uh, a good run for us, really good run for us. What Bret said about you? I want to hear about what your reaction was to it. So apparently Bret, when he was younger, this would have been probably in the um, late 70s, perhaps 77, 78, it said that Bret said, if I'm going to be a wrestler, I want to be a wrestler like you, referring to Hubert Glant. Is that I right? remember that like it was. I remember that like it was yesterday. He <laughs> said, "Hubert, I love your work, and I wrestle. I want to wrestle like you." And what a compliment! You know what I mean? Like he 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 came in the business and uh, look where he took it. You know what I mean? It was unbelievable what he did and everything. But it was uh, quite the honor for 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 me to have him. You know, saying that even at that time. When you wrestled Brett in those in those years when he was still in his um, early formation, did you see the superstardom? 
Well, you could see that he had uh, he had the physique and the, and the size. Uh, he was tall, and he was a natural worker. Like he, he I remember his first few match, and it, it didn't take it didn't take him long to learn the ropes. Like you know what I mean? He was kind of a natural, and he was a solid worker. That's what I liked about him. He, him and both Keith, they were solid. You know, you knew when you were in the match, then that you were in the match. You know, you weren't there to to play around. Like you know what I mean? And I was like that too. I I, I thought I was solid too and the stool too enjoyed that enjoyed that it, that you couldn't they couldn't see through you like you know what i mean yeah yeah brett had some, brett had some good trainers too he had mr hito and mr sakurata in his early days well there you go there were all guys uh, at the time their experience and that's uh, you learn the ropes like you know what i mean the working with good guys we're working with experienced wrestlers that that's been around. You know what I mean, and all different kind of style. And you and you got to adapt. You know, you can't say you're going to work with Keith one night and you're going to work with Britt the other night and it's going to be the same match. It's not. You got to adapt. And if yeah. you can do that, you can do that. You'll never have a bad match. No. Yeah. Now, some of your best work was with Leo Burke, but you also had a tag team with. Danny Davis, he went on to become one of the nightmares later on. Did you have a good relationship with Danny? Oh, yeah, very good relationship with Danny. We were tag team, North American tag team champions for a while. And before that, when I first uh, uh, got in there in 77, want to go back a little bit there in 77, I mean, uh, Keith and I had a run as a tag team for the, we, uh, we were the North American tag team champions there for a while. And I enjoyed that part, too. It was fun working with Keith as a tag team, yeah. Now that's the Danny Davis with the uh, tennis, Ken Wayne and Danny Davis. Am I right? Danny or? Davis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Small for that. yeah, that's it. Yeah, the, they had the tag team, the Tennessee Stokes. And then Dan Wayne. Was it him and Ken okay, Wayne? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't remember where in Tennessee. You mean? No, they just. I think they named their tag team Sampy the Tennessee Studs. Not Is that Danny Davis or a different Danny Davis? Well, Ken Wayne, it, 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 Wayne, yeah, Wayne Ferris, yeah, and, and Danny yeah. Davis, yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. No, not that right. Yeah. yeah, the. Hum- No, no, not him. Uh, Ken Wayne. Oh, Ken Wayne. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that I don't remember. I probably, I probably wasn't there at the, at the time. Yeah, you probably weren't. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember yeah. it very vaguely, very vague. Yeah, the Tennessee yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's been so long. You know, it's been forty, <laughs> over forty years. You know, forty years plus. Uh, now that you talk, now these. You talk about it. I remember the guys and stuff like that. But uh, if I don't hear their name, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to remember all that. Well, I remember watching Stampede, and I was four years old, 1969. That's how far I go back with it. You know. Well, I remember what I I remember watching it in in 1969 too, when Dave Rowell was there, the the Stomper. Uh, Say hey, yeah, Stomper, Stomper coming out. Stomper, Dave Rowell. Pardon me? Coming out. 
waving a crowbar to the crowd and holy cow, four-year-old kids get pretty petrified at that. Boy, I was sure scared of the stomper. <laughs> back yeah, he, he yeah, just, he was quite the character. He was, he was over here in the Maritimes, so he was a big name here in the Maritimes. He was here pretty well every summer. But let me tell you a little... Four. Let me tell you a little wee story about the Stomper. One time, my brother and I went, because Stampede used to run every second Wednesday night in in Red Deer at the Westerner, as you know. Yeah, I remember. And, uh, yeah. So this one time, it was a big snowstorm. It was a big blizzard. And we, my brother and I, we showed up. We were one of the only fans that actually showed up. But we got in, uh-huh. and, we waited, and we waited, and we waited. Well, here comes the stomper. He was driving one of those little Volkswagen Scirocco's. Well, he showed up. <laughs> he was the the only one that showed up out of all the wrestlers. <laughs> we were so disappointed. We were so disappointed. And, you know, we talked to him, and he, he was such a nice guy. But, yeah, we were so disappointed there was going to be no wrestling because none of the wrestlers had showed up except for the stomper. How can you imagine, huh? Wow. Yeah, yeah. He was he was quite the guy. I uh, I uh, I was a uh, was uh, in 1984. There he came down to the Maritimes, and uh, I never worked with him. But uh, yes, I did work a TV match with him one time, just one time. Oh. And then uh, and then he was here for I don't know a couple months or so. Oh. Was that that? Yeah, I worked the TV stomper. Pardon me. Was that him as the Mongolian stomper or Archie the stomper Goldie? No, he just just was known uh, just the name the stomper. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, like in Calgary, in Calgary they had him as Archie the Goldie, Archie Goldie the stomper. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But here was just a stomper. But yeah. he was he was a big star. He was he was a heel, but he was a big star. Yeah, and then when some parts of the states they call him the Mongolian Stomper. Exactly. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mr. Gallant, back in the 1984 time when Stampede shut down for a period of time, and then it rebooted again 1985. You were one of the last wrestlers with them at the time before they shut down. Then you came back immediately for the reboot. I'm guessing in the meantime you're in New Brunswick, but what brought you back to Stampede Wrestling? How did they convince you to come back, or was it something that you wanted to do definitely? Well, at the time when I when I got hurt and had a year off and everything, I did what else I was going to do to make a living, like you know what I mean. So uh, one more time, so I did. I tried it one more time, but it did, it didn't work out. And then I came back home and went went to do what I was doing before, like uh, operating uh, heavy equipment, heavy machineries in the woods, Holland Woods. So uh, I started my own business a couple of years after, and I stayed stayed in it for 25 years. And I sold about seven, eight years ago. And now that's, that's what I'm still doing. I'm operating a, a business in the woods, but just part-time. Like, you know what I mean? I'm 66, and I don't want to do it full time but it's nice to do it times it's give you something to do like you know what I mean and, and I enjoy what I'm doing exactly but that, but that's the reason why I decided to try 
right one more time. Like you know what I mean? Because you you wanna you don't you don't want to second guess that I stopped too soon and stuff like that. But I realized the decision that I had to move on and be home. Uh, to tell you the truth, I didn't. Sure, you 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 miss it somewhat, but I I got over it quick. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, I got over it pretty quick because I knew I couldn't do it anymore. And I had a good run. I had fun with it and everything, and I don't regret anything. Like you know, it was a good life experience. So were you Ooh, wrestling yeah. with a lot of pain? Well, at at one time you didn't feel it because you didn't really you didn't realize that you were pain. Like you, know, you were working with pain and stuff like that. But luckily, luckily that I didn't, never took any painkillers or steroids or anything like that. To, try to get better or or to easy easy down the pain. I work with the pain. It wasn't that bad un, until the back let go. Back let go, I had to stop. I didn't have no choice. Couldn't walk. Right. Hmm. One of the things I want to ask you about, the uh, Stampede TV show was all over, the, all over the earth. I mean, you talked about how it was visible in Atlanta, Canada. We know that some parts of Africa had it, and it was in the Caribbean. I think you were wrestling with Stampede Wrestling around the time when they made a trip to Antigua, but I don't know if you went on those cards. Did you make that trip? Yes, I did. Made that trip. I think it was in 1980, probably. How was it? I heard the, the crowds heard. It's unbelievable. You know, you when you got out of the airport and everything, everybody knew you who, who he was, of course. And uh, we, heard, we had really, really... Two nights that we wrestled there was, you know, sold out. It was <clears throat> jam packed, and, and it was a lot of fun. You could tell that they knew who you were because action, like you know what I mean. They knew who the, who the bad guy was and the, the good guy was. Is it true, Hubert, during Antigua that had people when he arrived in Antigua? Okay, they went they went twice in Antigua, and I'm pretty sure that I went the second time. Um, the first time I wasn't there. When I went, Ed Willen wasn't there. Uh, Ed Willen, Stu was there. Stu came when I when I when I was there, but I can't recall uh, Ed Willen being there. But I I can imagine, yeah, because he was a he was a good announcer and a a, a really great guy also. Yeah. He really he really liked you know I could tell he liked. Me, but, uh, you know what I mean. When I was baby facing everything, uh, when I turned heel, it was a different story. But uh, he had to do his job, <laughs> especially when you're in Jr's army. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get mobbed in Antigua? Could you actually go out on the streets? Well, one night I remember. No, no, we didn't get mobbed. No, they were looking at us, of course, like uh, because we knew we and everything. But uh, we we got we got treated pretty good. Fans, all the fans are not that, you know, that even even the heels are, are good guys sometimes uh, around the public. Oh, yeah. Did you go to any other country? Did you work in any other countries in wrestling? No, I remember.
remember when I was in uh, in Calgary, the, there was a guy by the name of, uh, I think it was Tokyo Joe. You heard of him? Yeah, he lost his leg. Yeah, that's right. Tokyo Joe was booking guys uh, in Japan. Uh, at the time, I see, I I was doing good in Calgary, and I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to go to Japan for the same amount of money. So that's the reason why I didn't go. But looking back, I should have gone. Look, you know what I mean. But that when you're young, you don't think like like I like you're thinking when you're a little older. I guess I go. I should have gone for the experience and stuff. Just to say that, that that I was there. Could have gone to Germany too, and I refused. But I was the type of guy who kind of liked the place. I I I like to stay a while. You hear so many of the boys though saying so many good things about Japan and mostly about their uh, their uh, payout was usually so good. Yeah. Yeah, but at the time they didn't offer. See, see, Tokyo Tokyo Joe had to take his cut, of course, and it wasn't it wasn't really big money, you know. Uh, I think it was, well at the time it was okay, a thousand a week, but uh, it, it wasn't much different to what we were making in Calgary, like you know what I mean? Right. So that's the reason why I refused to go. You didn't have to. You didn't have to. They asked you. You didn't, you didn't really have to, but so who would have been the bag? I guess. So, Go ahead. Yeah. So who would have been the main promoter, booker in Japan at that time? Anoki? Probably, yeah. 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 And then you had uh, the giant bubble. Was it the same The same. Uh, right. outfit? Yeah. Yeah, giant bubble, yeah. Was it, was it the same outfit as uh, Antonio Anoki? Oh. Is that Probably all Japan, all Japan pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I think Stu used to exchange a lot of the talent with all Japan. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. There's a lot of talent that went through Stampede Wrestling there over the years. Oh yes, oh yeah. Well, you can name a lot of them. Harley Race. Harley Race was there one time when I was there. Now, there's a guy that you're talking about, Harley Race, a true professional, really, really good worker, the best in the business, the best that I ever seen, in my eyes. Yeah. He was uh, uh, technical, he was uh, easy to work with, and everything he did looked great, you know what I mean? And he a was tough. a really, really good, a world-class worker. Yeah, and a very tough man. Yes, I had a chance to work with him a few times uh, when I was in uh, in Kansas City, and he came to Calgary there when I was there, probably in 1983, 84 for Stampede uh, Stampede Week, yeah, yeah. And we, we traveled, we traveled, uh, we went to Saskatoon and Regina. We had, we did the whole loop, like it would have been everything. So, did you travel with him in the car? No, I didn't travel in the car, but we were we were uh, when we were at the hotel, we were the same hotel and everything, and we used to chat and everything. I remember one time that uh, he was <clears throat> he was uh, uh, we, we were talking and everything, and you know when you take your 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 two hands or fingers and try to you know try to make the other guy give up, like you know what I mean? 
Oh, the Greco Roman block? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and he and he he got me with it. But but it lasted it lasted a bit a bit because I wasn't I wasn't a, a big guy, but I he had to work for his uh, he had to work to, to get that. <laughs> but he was all he, he was all red and everything. That was fun. Yeah. But he didn't hurt me. He didn't hurt me though. He let me go and I said, let go. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. A true professional knew how to work the holes and stuff and not hurt you. Very much like what, kind of what Brad always used to always preach that he would do. He never hurt anybody in the ring ever. No. Brett was a solid worker, but solid at the right place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Solid at the right place. He, uh, he, like you said, you know, you could work with uh, with uh, Brett, and uh, you was you wasn't afraid that he was gonna, you know, you would you would take care of your body. Yeah. Speaking of great wrestling level, holds and the hearts, did you ever go to get stretched in the dungeon? <laughs> no, luckily I've uh, I was able to sidestep that. But uh, Stu, uh, a few times in the dressing room or outside the dressing room, uh, let me have your arm, uh, see what I can, you know, try to put, and he tried to put the hole on me and everything, and I wouldn't let him, you know, because I knew what would happen. <laughs> but he was, you know, I was like, he, he wanted, you know, it, Stu was like that. If I, if I were to accept to go to the dungeon, I would have paid the price like everybody else, probably. How was Stu? Did what? you get along well with Stu? Who, who's that? Did you get along pretty well with Stu Hart? Did I get along pretty well with Stu Hart? Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Stu loved my work. He 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 enjoyed my work. He thought he thought that I was a solid worker, and and especially the match that I had with Keith and Red Deer, he was there, and. Um, Stu enjoyed a, a good, solid worker. Like you know what I mean, and I knew he enjoyed my work. That made it that made made it a lot more easier for me to you know what I mean, give me confidence and everything, and make me work a little harder. Yeah, but he's uh, yeah, he was a great good guy. Hey, uh, Hubert, what's the best ribs you've ever seen when you were in the business? Like in the say in the lock in the dressing room. And then, and then on the road, the best ribs that you've oh, seen geez. somebody on someone else. Well, not in, not in the dressing room, but coming back from Regina, I remember those shaving cream party, dynamite and Davy Boy. If you if you happen to go to sleep, you would have the shaving cream on you. That was nothing, you know what I mean. I never had it, but. Uh, uh, luckily, I bypassed it. But uh, there's a lot of ribs that, that that we're doing that you. I don't mind rib, but there's rib and there's rib. Like you know what I mean? If you yeah. tear some somebody else's stuff, it's not a rib. No. And I I've seen that done, and I didn't I didn't really. I wouldn't do it to nobody else. So I, I I was. I was kind of uh, disappointed when I would see that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Did you ever take any ribs from Dynamite? Pardon me? Did you ever take ribs from Dynamite? Never.
Dynamite had a lot of respect for us, me and Leo. Never, never, never ripped us one day. Because when we were we, when we were in Calgary, when he came to Calgary, we were there first. <coughs> like, you know what I mean? And we were close, Leo and I, and everything. <coughs> and I don't know why. I don't know if the the mutual respect, the the, or I don't know why that he didn't try. I don't know if he if he uh, if he uh, if he thought that the uh, you know that he shouldn't do it or something like that, but never did. And I'm glad he didn't. Oh, because he was sure. quite the river. Yeah. I think, like you say, it was the respect that he had for yeah, you and Leo. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's too bad about those guys, though, uh, thinking they came, to, they, came, they came to the business and they wanted to make it big and they, they chose the, 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 the road that would, you know, hurt them late in life or, or, or even early in life like Davy Boy Smith. And yeah. uh, it's too bad. It's too bad, really, because those guys were, were you know, were good athletes at, at their smaller size. But the business side of it, if you wanted to make money at the time, you had to be big. So that's probably why that I probably why I never made big money, because I stayed away from the from the, the stuff, which I did the right choice, because I, I still got out today and. If wasn't a, it's, it's a very dangerous business, I'd say. You know what I mean? Very, very dangerous business, even today. You know, look at look at all the young guys. I was looking at a story there on the, on YouTube there last week. Thirty guys didn't go didn't go more than forty years old that I read about. <clears throat> you know, some twenty eight, some twenty six. You know, overdose or whatever. You know what I mean? So uh, that's why I say it's a very, very dangerous business. Very dangerous business. You got to be wise to get in that, get into it. And I was I was a lucky one because when I was about 23, 23, 24 years old, I remember all those guys getting bigger and everything. And I went to see a doctor about steroids, and he said he gave me an advice: said don't touch it. Said if you if you look for later on in life, those side effects are going to hurt you. So. Yeah. I choose not to not to take it, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. So Dan Crawford, at 22. Yeah. Pardon me. I'd say Dan Crawford. He was another one that stayed away from the drugs. Yeah, he, uh, Dan Crawford was not. He didn't need to Dan Crawford because he was a natural, naturally big guy. You know, he was a. I'd say he must have been around two fifteen, two twenty at least, and mm-hmm. he looked he looked good <coughs> for that time. You know what I mean. <coughs> But when uh, when uh, Vince McMahon started to to run with the big guys and the, the, the you know it, it seemed like everybody wanted to be big. What was your shoot weight when you were at your peak in Stampede? My what? Shoot, your shoot weight, your real weight. Oh, oh, Stampede. Uh, my 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 peak was about two ten. Yeah, that that's and, a, and, that's right. Yeah, and uh, at the end there, at the end there, well, I couldn't work out as hard and everything, and uh, I wrestled, I remember around 190, 195 at yeah, the end, I the, last, yeah. the last few years. But still, I I had a, I thought I had a natural fit-looking body, so I was happy with that. But they'll still be only at 220, right? <laughs> For, Pardon me? They'll still gimmick you as 220. 
like they'll announce you as two fifteen or two twenty, even if you are one ninety. Oh well, yeah, yeah, that don't matter. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, uh, it, 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 you you probably couldn't tell two ten or two twenty. It's not a big difference. You know what I mean? No. But it's, it it was a big difference when Dynamite came in, and he was one sixteen. They were announcing two hundred pounds. You know what I mean? Oh. It wasn't. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It didn't look. You could tell that. Uh, but not long after he was two hundred. According to his book, in his book, he writes that Sweet Daddy Seek, or not Sweet Daddy, um, uh, the junkyard dog got Sylvester got him started in steroids yeah. when he was in Calgary. Oh, is that right? Huh? Yeah, yeah. That's so you you read you read his book about that, yeah? Yeah, it's in his book. Yeah. Yeah, he claims that, yeah, Big Daddy Ritter uh, got him started in steroids. Yeah. See, it seems like uh, those guys, when you start on that, you know, there's no end. It's too bad, but that's, that's the way it goes. Uh, it's like a it's like a drug or uh, or anything else. It, it seems like you never get it uh, big enough, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then Davy Boy kind of followed along. Oh, like, yeah, Davy Boy, Davy Boy was... was Davy Boy was about 180 when he came to Calgary. Yeah, and I left for about left for about six seven months. Came back yeah. and he was 240. But you know, That's like, the way if you read in Dynamite's book, you know, he claimed he's kind of like he was kind of like the the ring general when for that tag team, the British Bulldogs, because um, Davy Boy went along with everything that Dynamite said. <laughs> you know, so well. This is this is, this is it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Davy Boy was pretty much the follower, and Dynamite was the leader. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He was he was there first. Yeah, yeah. But they were they were they were good workers, great workers. Like you know what I mean? Oh. It's too bad that, uh, that that their lives were cut short. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they were great great workers. Yeah. But I I wonder. I wonder if it's worth it, though, all that, just for the business. Well, how many wrestlers do you see even today stand up on the top rope, dive to the outside, land on your knees on the concrete? Well, that was dynamite, you know? Yeah, but those are, yeah, those are and miss high, risk maneuver, high risk maneuver, and you're going to pay for it. Like, in our days... In our days, uh, you, you did a pile driver for a finish. You did a power slam for, for a finish. You know yeah. what I mean? And now they're doing it all through the match. You know, false finish, false finish, false finish. So, so where does it stop? You know what I mean? Right. And all those, those high-risk high risk maneuvers. If you're there waiting to, 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 for the guy to land on you, how do you know where he's going to land if he's making three or four flips before you land? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing that's so, so that's why you'll see in the in the WWE right now a lot of talent that you see, and all of a sudden you don't see them no more. Yeah, because they're probably hurt, or, or you know what I mean. And they just there's about a hundred waiting to get in. Yeah, these so these yeah all these moves now, Hubert, that you see in all these even the little indie promotions now, all oh, you they're not telling telling any story in the ring at all. I think, I think they went wrong. I think they, they went wrong 
myself, I don't not crazy about it because when I used to watch a wrestling match, or even when I was in in that business, there, you like to tell a story. If you if you if you start yeah. you start the match, you feel each other out. You know what I mean? You do a few moves and everything, boom. And all of a sudden, if you start working the arm or start working the legs, you keep you kept at it, kept at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden, the other guy came to come back, boom, boom, boom. You could have had a few false finish, but not nothing like a pile driver or or a, or a press slam or something like that. That's supposed to be a finish. Period. You know what I mean? Exactly. So then yeah. you give everything in the match. Now, how how do you follow that? Like you know what I mean? What do you do next after to to uh, entertain the crowd? They see them all. Yeah. They see it all. You know, and you see same as now. Yeah. Same as now. You 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 look at the. At Vince McMahon's territory right now, while well, he owns the whole thing and everything, but all those good gimmicks that they had, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, The Ultimate Warrior, uh, uh, Mankind, all all good gimmicks. I mean, but how do you follow that now? Where do you go? You know what I mean? It's hard to follow that. Really. Yeah. Wow. Well, you can't undertake You can't. The Undertaker, the Undertaker, has, you can't the Undertaker had the greatest. No, they can't follow it. No. Yeah, you That's can't why follow. you watch it now. And it's it's not wrestling, Hubert. It's it's sports entertainment now. So that's that's to me that's the scapegoat of it. Well, you know? well, exactly. And 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 on top of that, uh, there's. Not too many guys are going to last long in it. If they make good money for a year or two, that'll be it, and they'll have to move on to something else. Oh yeah. But you know. in, in our days, in our days, if you didn't, if you were lucky and you didn't get hurt and stuff like that, there's some some guys that went twenty, twenty five, thirty years. You know, if they were, you know, some some are tougher than others, like Harley Race and, and Pat yeah. O'Connor. They went a long time. But yeah. But now there's no chance that they, the way they're working, they can't they can't last that long. No. No. So, no. Mr. Glant, no. you're one of many wrestlers who went back and forth between Atlantic and Stampede. I was always intrigued by the fact that Emile Dupree never ran in the winter. He only ran in kind of the late spring to early fall in Atlantic Canada, whereas the uh, winters in Western Canada are very brutal to drive through. Was there a reason why Mill Dupree always shut things down in the winters? It was a it was a summer territory. I remember they tried it. International tried it uh, the last year that they ran, and they lost money. They tried it till probably close uh, to December. And they lost money. It, it, it just wouldn't work. It was a summer territory. And when Emil took over with the TV and everything in 1978 or 79, 79, when Macho Man and them came down there. So Emil kept kept that TV and uh, was running was running two towns a night for about, well, I think he ran a, a town a night for about two years. And then about three, four years after, he was running two two towns a night in the summer summertime. And then... When he stopped in '86, when the, the Vince McMahon TV came, you know, came on air, you couldn't, you just couldn't follow that. So he, he let go to TV, and he ran another four, three, four, five years in the summertime. You know, a smaller promotion, but he was, he was making it. Emil, Emil uh, was was the promoter that lasted the longest time here uh, uh, in the Maritimes. He was a good guy to work for. Also, he trained me. 
give me the chance to start. And I came back for him uh, for about three or four summers. So I enjoy working for him. Mm-hmm. Great worker also. And your career is obviously always tied to Leo Burke because of the way that you travel together. I was looking back through your records and I found that you had one match at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. The two of you wrestled each other, but you never went back to Toronto. Did you have interactions with the Tunnies at all? Did you ever think about going through Toronto more so? No, they just, they, they just I was in Montreal at the time. They just called me to, to for a match there in, the, in Toronto on the... It was on a Sunday night, I believe. Was it TV? I can't remember. Probably was. And I worked one match with uh, with Leo at the time. But that was the only match that I could work with Leo. I tried to work with Leo in Platoon one time, but it was hard, you know, because we were too close. Too close. Couldn't get serious enough to have a match. <laughs> Are you still in touch with but Leo we, Burke? Well, uh, unfortunately, Leo is not in very good health right now. He's in no. Calgary, he's in the home there, and uh, he started with the Domingo. And uh, I talked to him about in uh, the last time was in uh, December. And he always recognized me and everything, and we we, we, we didn't talk long. Like uh, at the end of, you know, uh, 30 seconds or so, he said, Hubert, I got your phone number, I'll give you a call. But he never did, you know, because he couldn't, he couldn't uh, remember. But it's too bad, really. He's only seventy-three years old, and he's uh, he's uh, he's got to go through that. He was out at an event last summer that was honoring Stampede wrestlers. They had the uh, two original Cuban assassins, and yeah. Leo was out in some of the hearts. So I did see him at the event. So he wasn't there at the event. Is that it? He was there. He did attend at the event. Oh, he did attend the event, but he, he uh, uh, last summer he, he must he he wasn't in great great health last summer either. I remember seeing a picture of him with the belt and everything. Is that the time? I think so. Yeah, it was last summer. It was an event in Calgary. It was held by. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember. He I was wearing a picture of hat. He was wearing a Coors hat, a Coors beer hat. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's it. I remember seeing the picture and everything, and you could that his health was gone. You know, was go, wasn't as good as, uh, as as before because you you could tell by the the his, his physical appearance too. I don't know if you did notice it, but uh, I did. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you about your career in country and western music. Was it the trip to Stampede Wrestling that woke you up for for a country and western music, or did you have a love of that prior? really and i had more fun probably more fun with that country music that i had uh, with wrestling because it doesn't hurt as much <laughs> <laughs> have you ever met uh maritimer uh stomping tom connors no i never did no no but my music thing is it's, it's not a career for me it's just a hobby like you know what i mean i i've done a few cds and everything but just for fun i had wrote I wrote about 14 French songs that I put on a CD. And then uh, I did another CD about three or four years ago. But it's mostly for, for, for fun. Not, well, they gave us a little something when you go to, to, a, to a gig or stuff like that. But you can't make a living at that. you just just a hobby. But I enjoy it. 
Now, there's another Stampede wrestler that developed a love for country and western music, too, and that's Sweet Daddy Seeky. Two of you ever team up? Oh, yeah. I think you could form a band together? <laughs> Sweet Daddy was... I, I don't know. He's got to be... He's got to get up, be up there now. Uh, I remember a few years back, probably 10 years back, he was doing a lot of karaoke's around the, around Toronto or so, so that, that I've heard, yeah. That's good. Any other things you want to tell us about in terms of your stampede career or your pro wrestling career or just anything else about you? Well, I tell you what, uh, I don't regret a, a moment of my career. Uh, it, it's been a, a nice little journey. It, was, it didn't last that long, but it, it was okay. Met a lot of uh, really, really great guys and uh, a lot of good memories. And uh, it's a pleasure talking to you both guys today, you know, just talking about wrestling and stuff like that, because it's been a while since I talked about wrestling. Nobody around, to, 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 you know, to, to, to talk with, with to, for, for about wrestling, so, you know, so, which is good. That's great. I want to thank you so much for all the time you put into wrestling. You entertained us for many years. Great memories of your tag team matches with Leo Burke, your matches with Keith Hart. So we all want to thank you very much for all your time spent with us today and your time in your career. Well, you're very welcome. It's been nice talking to you guys. Yes, thank, thank you, uh, Hubert, for doing the podcast with us. And, and uh, uh, we're we look forward to hearing uh, you comment and liking all the posts on the uh, Ring of Ding Dong Dandy uh, Facebook group because I've noticed that you've been on there the last few days. And, uh, yeah, we we really enjoyed your, your time in Stampede Wrestling, how you entertained us fans back then. And uh, uh, good luck in your... Uh, in your uh, little in your job that you do part time and uh, yeah yeah just enjoy life in general. Hey, well, best of luck, Mister Hubert. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And Have nice a great day. Bye bye now. Bye.